Well, good morning, everybody. It is good to see your faces. I see we have quite a few people out today. I have taken notes, and I will be calling them this week. Demerits. That's right. Hey, turn in your Bibles to Nehemiah 6, but don't read it yet. That's going to be our main text. We're in Nehemiah today. You know, church family, the Scriptures often exhort us to be filled with godly virtues. Virtues such as goodness and humility and patience, for example. But I want you to take a moment and think about a water-saturated sponge. A sponge is just absolutely overflowing, full of water. If we push down even slightly with our finger on that sponge, we're going to see water run out onto the table, wouldn't we? We're going to see water come out of that sponge. And we immediately know what fills the interior pockets of that sponge, even when it's under pressure. The same is true of ourselves. We can tell what fills us on the inside by what comes out under pressure. So, today we're going to be exploring the person and the character of Nehemiah. And as you'll soon see, Nehemiah found himself under great pressure from oppositional men, men that were stirring and causing trouble. They wanted him to stop a great work that God had called him to do. And he too was under pressure. So if you're in Nehemiah 6, we're going to be bouncing around today in Nehemiah, so you won't see the verses up here. We're going to use our scripture in these first six chapters. But let's look at verses, uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 9. This is our main text. Now, when Symbolic and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates. Sanballat and Geshem sent to me saying, come and let us meet together, saying, excuse me, sent to me saying, come and let us meet together at Hakafrim in the plain of Ono. That's just a village, okay? A village in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way. And I answered them in the same manner. In the same way, Sambalat for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is why you were rebuilding the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent him saying, no such thing as you say have been done. No such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, oh God, strengthen my hands. Folks, you can flip to chapter 1 real quick. Just be prepared. Just linger, if you will, in Nehemiah 1. 
Our key verse today, out of our text, is verse 3 of chapter 6. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? There is our focal point of today's message. You know, we can accomplish amazing things, Christians. We can accomplish amazing things, great works, when we align ourselves with the plans and will of God. The whole book of James that we went through structured us into that kind of maturity. And now we're going to see this in the real life of a man named Nehemiah. So let's talk about what I want to propose today. Here's my proposition. It is my hope that we as believers learn from and imitate Nehemiah's persevering character, okay, against opposition. This is where I want to go today. I want us to imitate and learn from Nehemiah his persevering character against opposition as he continued in the great work that was set before him. Why is this important for you and I to really dive in to this character of this man? Well, it's because prayerful perseverance, let me say that again, prayerful perseverance is needed when obstacles and opposition attempt you and I, right, to stop the work that God has set before us. And that can come in many shapes and forms as we're going to find out. So let's talk about this wonderful man named Nehemiah. In chapter 1, Nehemiah is speaking with his brother Hanani and a few men from Judah who have returned. And he's asking them questions out of concern and conviction, right, over these exiles, over these Jews who survived the exile and about the city of Jerusalem. This is where we're at in the story. He had just asked a question, but let me give you some background info so we can all be on the same page. You have a divided kingdom. You have a northern and a southern part. Well, the southern part of that divided kingdom is called Judah. And Judah was conquered by the Babylonians. And a lot of people were taken captive. Seventy years they were captive. But then Persia comes in under the providence of God and conquers the Babylonians. They are now the force to be reckoned with. They are the leading empire. And these kings, again under the providence of God, begin to allow the exiles to slowly return to their homeland. And in the next 80 to 90 years after this exile, we see this slow returning, if you will, of three main waves. The first wave was a man named Zerubbabel, and he took a crew, a lot of people, back to uh, the homeland, and they started restoring the temple. Years, several, several years later, there was a priest named Ezra who also returned to his homeland with the people. He was going to bring back and restore worship by bringing back the Torah and reading the Torah and getting the people spiritually, uh, uh, lifting their spiritual status in worship, if you will. Okay? Then, the person we're talking about is Nehemiah. Nehemiah brings some back too, but his goal is the restoration of the wall. And that's where we find ourselves. These exiles have been slowly returning, and it's a great story. You see their ups and downs. You see their opposition. 
But we're talking and focusing just on Nehemiah. So he knows that the city now, especially the walls, are in ruin. And he is so upset and convicted over this. In fact, after asking the question, here is the answer. Look at Nehemiah 1.3, everybody. Look at Nehemiah 1.3. And they said to me, the remnant there in the province who had survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So, as the Jews returned to their homeland, they found their city broken down. And this reveals something. It reveals a people that were defeated. These broken walls and these gates, folks, they um, left them defenseless. And not only that, the lack of fortified walls uh, was a humiliating thing. It was unsafe, and it caused both trouble and shame. So what is Nehemiah's response to this answer that he is receiving? Well, I want you to, I just want to embrace this prayer. Everybody look at Nehemiah 1. Read along with me. In ch- uh, verse 4, as soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. And I said, O Lord, of, uh, Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We have acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, and the rules that you commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and keep my commandments and do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to the place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power. And by your strong hand, O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now I was the cupbearer to the king. What a prayer. Nehemiah's prayer is communicating his adoration to God. We see that in the beginning. That's what we should be doing. He's communicating adoration. Then he goes on to confession. We should do that. Did you notice Nehemiah's not only his, his sins and his father's, he's confessing the sins of the nation. Confession and then supplication. What he's asking God for, please be attentive. Please hear the prayer of your servant. These are wonderful, wonderful components to what our prayers should look like. So the compassion took him straight to God in prayer, Right? which led them to act. So let's talk about action here. Nehemiah was the cupbearer to the king. The king is Artaxerxes, okay? Artaxerxes, excuse me, I choked there for a second. Now, he held a very, very important position as cupbearer. I mean, you're right before the king. So as his prayer stated, he wanted to be granted mercy in the sight of this king. 
See, Nehemiah had not been sad before in his presence. He had not been. But the king noticed anyways. The king saw his face and said, you're not sick, so why do you have this sad face? Nehemiah tells him that it is sadness of the heart. And then he goes on to tell him the story, the source of this sadness. Everybody look at Nehemiah 2.4. Jump over to chapter 2, look at verse 4. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. Wow. Let's stop there for a second. He's standing for a great king of Persia, King Artaxerxes. He's about to unload a story about how his city is in ruins, and he is really bothered and convicted over this. And he's going to share this before this great king. The king asks him a question, and what does Nehemiah do in this character? My goodness, he's going straight to God. Right then, he asks for prayer. Do we do that? Is prayer so urgent for us when we're asked a question or in the heat of the moment or there's something really big happening right before you and somebody wants a response or an answer? Do we pray to God like Nehemiah did? Folks, there is a lesson to be learned right now. The king asked him a question and Nehemiah went straight to God. I want us to remember that about Nehemiah. You know what he says? Basically, he says, King, please send me. Please send me to Judah that I may rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. That's what it's laid on my heart. This is what I want to do. So after asking for letters of passage and resources from the king, which the king granted, by the way, he granted everything Nehemiah needed, praise God. But why? Why was the king so willing Well, Nehemiah puts it like this at the end of verse 8 in chapter 2, and I'll just tell you, for the good hand of my God was upon me. Now, we're looking at a man who is so upset over the conditions of this great city and his countrymen that he's moved into action, and he presents this action before the king. But do you notice in everything he's doing, he is going to God in prayer, prayerful perseverance. So, Nehemiah is off to Jerusalem. He's off to inspect the damage, uh, and then he's going to start the rebuilding, which is what God has placed on his heart to do for Jerusalem. We see this in the convictions he felt. This is what God has placed on him. So, he was convicted in his concern. He was convicted in his compassion. He goes straight to God in prayer about this conviction, And then God leads him to act on this conviction. We've got to remember that. You and I are convicted. God places things in our hearts. Do we plan without him? Do we try to figure out the situation in a course of action without him? Do we start calling and recruiting people without him? Prayer, prayer, prayer. Nehemiah's persevering character. We have got begin to imitate this. Let's talk about his opposition, because this is important. So Nehemiah is in Judah, right? He knows full well the work that God has placed upon his heart, what God wants him to accomplish. He's aware of this because he's in line with his will. But tension now enters this story. We are first introduced to this man, Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite, and Geshem the Arab in chapter 2. And in chapter 2, they are questioning Nehemiah about his great work. 
So we find them again in chapter 4. <laughs> These men keep popping up. In chapter 4, and in chapter 4, guess what? They are greatly angered. They are enraged at what is happening with this city. They're rebuilding the wall. They are enraged. And so what they do is they begin to plot violence. They're going to attack and fight. They're going to cause confusion against Jerusalem, uh, Jerusalem as stated in uh, <clears throat> verse 8 of chapter 4. But everybody, will you look at verse 9, please? Chapter 4 of Nehemiah. I told you we're going to be bouncing around. Look at Nehemiah 4.9. The threat of violence is in play. They're going to attack. Nehemiah 4.9. And we prayed to God, uh, to me, to our God, and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. Nehemiah prayed first. Ooh, what's happening? They're going to do what? Let's pray. Was this prayer effective? Was the action that followed from this prayer effective? Everybody jump down to verse 15. Same chapter, chapter 4, look down at verse 15. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. What a testimony. What a testimony. Half the people worked while the other half were on guard. Even some that labored. They labored and worked with one hand and they held a weapon with the other. So the great work that God had placed on the heart of Nehemiah continued on no matter the opposition. Folks, if I'm doing a job and I find out someone's going to come up behind me and attack, <laughs> I may not turn to God first. I may say, well, let me find something I can arm myself with quick. How can I remedy the situation? Not Nehemiah. Not Nehemiah. In all things, he is turning to God. Let's talk about some targets of opposition real quick. Because it's important to understand how we're going to relate this relevant story to our lives. Targets of opposition. First, folks, God. God himself is a target. I like to look to Jesus, so let's do that. Looking to Jesus and what he endured. Hebrews 12.3. We're going to put that up for you. <clears throat> Hebrews 12.3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. We'll come back to that. What about God's people? God is a target. What about God's people? In Acts 8, Acts 8, 1 through 3, and Saul approved of his execution. Talking about Stephen. Okay? <clears throat> and there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. God's people are a target of opposition. We'll come back to that. And, and you know what? Everybody look at Nehemiah 4. We're already there. I want to go back to verses 7 and 8 that we just talked about. Look at Nehemiah 4, 7 and 8, since you got your Bibles ready. But when Sembala and Tobiah and the uh, Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come to fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. So we have three targets right now. We have God Himself, God's people, and God's work. God's work is even in opposition. 
So, Jesus is enduring the hostility that he received, right? He received hostility. He is enduring it, which is encouraging to us. It encourages us to not to grow weary or faint-hearted in our Christian life as we pursue in accomplishing the work he set before us. We too are not to grow weary or faint-hearted. Saul, let's talk about Saul. In ravaging the, in ravaging the church, <clears throat> this man would become Paul after an encounter with Jesus. And now he will build and plant churches instead of tearing them down. So the plans of God and his purposes will always prevail no matter who, even Saul, who people were terrified of and trembled when they saw him, they, he could not oppose God. God's purposes, his plans would prevail. We have to remember that. When we're, in opposi- or when we're facing opposition, they're not stronger than God. We don't need to fear man. What about this one? As the walls are being completed, Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem, those in opposition, right, wanted to fight, wanted to attack, wanted to cause confusion. So, and here's the purpose, just so they'd stop. I just want you to stop. Stop doing this work. And we'll be fine, man. But they could do nothing to prevent God's plans from continuing on. Even the plans that he placed on Nehemiah's heart could not be stopped. What a testimony in perseverance, folks. What a testimony. So we understand that opposition is there. What is the source? What are the motives? Well, let me tell you what the sources are, because we've talked about this many times. There's three great enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the sources of opposition in opposing God, God's people, and God's work. Well, what are the motives, man? Why? Well, the world, folks, does not know God. He does, uh, the world doesn't acknowledge God. The world's not going to accept God. However, the world wants you to conform to it. And I'm going to go ahead and tell you that conformity means you are not with God. What about the devil? Because this worldly system is guided and governed by something, right? Something wicked. And we see that online. We see it in the news. What is going on with our world? Well, the devil is prowling around like a lion. He wants to devour anybody that crosses his path. He doesn't want God's work to continue. Folks, the devil knows he's defeated. He knows he's defeated, and all he cares about is pulling as many away from God as possible. You're just just a pawn to him. And here's the problem. He let me tell you who the devil loves. It's not, he doesn't have to do much with, with non-believers. They just don't believe. It's not a lot of work. The fear is those who do believe. And here's who he loves. He loves those that do not work. He loves those who will not serve. He loves those that who will not act. He loves those that who will not give of themselves. Why? Because he can lean back, put his feet up, and go, I don't have to do anything. This guy, they're doing it all for me. I don't have to worry about him working for God. He got scared. He was scared of the threats. He was scared of this opposition. He's lazy. He's lethargic. He just doesn't care. He's indifferent. That's who the devil loves because he's like, man, I don't got to do anything. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me angry, and it makes me want to work all the harder, you see? Because I don't want to fall into that category where the devil goes, oh, I'm not even worried about acting in his life. 
Do you understand when, you're doing, when the church is about to grow or we're, we're right there on the, on the verge of greatness in, in our lives, that's when the devil attacks? He does not want you to continue that work. That leads us to the flesh because doesn't it come all back down to us? The devil's not making you sin. The devil's not making you give up. Folks, it's the flesh. The flesh is weak. We are. The flesh is weak. Corrupted hearts. Even James taught us about the passions and desires that can become selfish, right? That can be uh, inward, and it can take us right off track. We can be derailed with our passions and our desires. The flesh is weak. So those are our three great enemies. There's the source and there's the motive. And guess what? The opposition that Nehemiah was facing, same. That Jesus was facing, same. That you and I will face, it's the same. We know who we're fighting against now. So let's talk about Nehemiah's work, because I want to bring this into into the bigger picture. So we're in chapter 6, that was our main text. This great work, they did it. They did it. There was no breach left in the wall, folks. Only the gates and doors, only the gates and doors were needed to be set up in their places. And upon hearing this, Samballat and Geshem tried another tactic. Since the threat and act of violence didn't work, You remember that? God frustrated it. Now they would turn to some new strategies. Well, that didn't work. They're not scared of the violence. They're armed. Okay, well, God may be with them. I don't know. Let's try a new tactic. Let's try some tricks. Let's try some deceit. Here's where we are. They wanted Nehemiah to come down. This is not directional, folks. We're talking elevation, okay? They're higher up. They wanted Nehemiah to come down to meet with them. But he knew, but he knew, excuse me, that they were intending to do him harm. He knew it. And let's face it, if they had caused great harm to Nehemiah, if they had captured him, seized him, if they have killed him, right, even death, it would have definitely put a stop to the work. It would have definitely put a stop to the work as he was their leader in this. The progress would have stopped. But our key verse states something. Our key verse today, and this is all about Nehemiah's perseverance, what does he say? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. What was important for Nehemiah? What was the priority? What was leading and directing him? I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. These men sent for Nehemiah four times in the very same way. And his response the same every single time. And it was smart. Did you think about this? He wasn't questioning their motives. I can't meet with you. When someone says that to you, don't we go ahead and say, well, would you want me to come meet with you? Would you like me to come to you? Would you like to meet somewhere else? No, their motives gave them away because he wasn't questioning them. He was giving them an opportunity to meet with him in Jerusalem. Of course, they did not, right? They tipped their hat. He knew because they wanted to inflict harm. They did not want to make peace. This tactic didn't work four times. So what does this opposition do? As Nehemiah is persevering through in it, continuing with the work, well, they moved on to their next scheme. They sent a fifth letter. But this letter was different. It was open. Now let me give you a little insight to this. An open letter was a sign of disrespect. See, the contents of this letter would generally be known. The writer's reading it. Hey, come here. He says he wants to be king. Hey, come here. Look at this. They're going to rebel. The contents were known. Why? Because these men, 
the opposition wanted these lies and these rumors to spread like wildfire. And we know rumors do spread like wildfire. We were taught that. So here's what the letter said. By the way, this, is, this was the point of it. They wanted Nehemiah to respond to them out of fear. Out of fear, they wanted him to respond because of these alleged rumors that were about to take off. It said that they were going to rebel. That's why they were fortifying this wall. They're about to rebel. You know what? Nehemiah wants to become king. That's what this is about. Nehemiah wants to become king. Oh, he's even having the prophets, prophets proclaim about him. Disinformation, the prophets are proclaiming. He's having them do that. That's what this letter said. So not only can we see Nehemiah's perseverance in this opposition, in this whole exchange, we can also see that he is demonstrating his trust in God. He denies these accusations. You're making this up. This isn't even real. I'm not even going to let it bother me. Right? They were designed to frighten him and the workers into thinking that this great work was going to cause something bad. That this project in repairing the wall would bring the wrath of the king Artaxerxes upon them. Wait, Nehemiah went there to do what? He's going to overthrow me? That's what they wanted to do. Well, hey, if you're scared of those threats, come down. Come eat with us. What's Nehemiah's response? I'm going to go ahead and tell you what his response is. But now, God, strengthen my hands. Isn't that a short prayer? Isn't that a wonderful prayer? Let's talk about dealing with opposition. Since Nehemiah, we see it right now unfolding in chapter 6. He says this wonderful prayer. Again, we're talking about prayerful perseverance. Everybody look at Nehemiah 6.9. Look at Nehemiah 6.9. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Folks, that's powerful. Think about it. That their hands would drop from the work and it will not be done. Their hands will stop and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. Man, this should be our prayer in facing opposition. It really, really should. It's so short, yet it is so powerful in what it is stating. Uh, stating. Strengthen my hands for the work you have set before me. Folks, whether you're pastoral ministry, whether you're a missionary, a Sunday school teacher, whether you serve in an office of the church, whatever job you have, and, and the ministry that you have taken on, in your life as a Christian, strengthen my hands for the work that you have set before me. You know what happens when you pray to God and you and Him are communicating and you're in line with His will? You are given the right perspective. Nehemiah had great perspective as he opposed these people. He had great prudence. He had great, great discernment. I want to tell you a story real quick about right perspective. Uh, we'll put it up for you. 2 Kings 6. 2 Kings 6, 15 and 17. When the servant of the man of God arose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Let me explain. 
the king of Syria was searching for Elisha. And they found him in a particular city. They surrounded the city. A vast army. And now, the servant steps out, and you can imagine, oh my goodness. Um, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And it says, Elijah says, hey, don't be frightened. So I would have been terrified too. Don't be frightened. Because those that are with us are way more than, than what's with them. And the servant's got to be like, what are you talking about? It's you and me. See, he couldn't see what Elisha saw. He didn't have that perspective. And what does Elisha do? <laughs> what Nehemiah would have done, he prayed to God, open his eyes. We need to pray to God for us, right? For our eyes to be open for the right perspective. Especially in the work that God's calling us to. So he prays, and all of a sudden, this servant's eyes are open, and he sees a mountain full of angels, chariots of fire, horses. That would have been mind-blowing. That would have been breathtaking to see something that awesome. And I think to myself, my goodness, as I looked, I'd be like, yeah, okay, come on. <laughs> I'm ready for you. Attack. Because those that were with them were way more. And, and be honest with you, if you've ever studied angels, they, you only needed one. He only needed one angel, but the mountain was full. We need that kind of perspective. We need to be able to have our eyes open so that we can see the opposition, so we can see the work in front of us. So when facing obstacles and opposition in our great work for God, we must, we must remember this, that in our prayers and the godly perspective that we are given, folks, if God is for us, then who can be against us? That's Romans 8.31. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nehemiah saw that. Nehemiah felt that in the opposition that was coming at him and the work that he had to accomplish. And Elisha saw it too. So let's review for a sec. I wanted you and I to learn from and begin to imitate the persevering character of Nehemiah. I stated that at the beginning. It's because of the opposition that you and I will face or that we are going to face in the midst of accomplishing God's work. I wanted us to be aware that there is a man that we can look to and learn from and imitate. Now, Nehemiah demonstrated his perseverance through prayer. He did this in his concerns, in his convictions. He did this in his request to the king. He did this in planning the rebuilding and all the things that he had needed. He did this in the work itself. He did this in the workers in his protection. He did this for strength to finish the God a job, excuse me, that God had placed upon his heart to do. Prayer was the source of strength in his persevering character. And there's a lot more. There's a lot more prayers that Nehemiah gives. But I wanted you to see where the strength was coming from in this opposition, because a lot of times we put that on the shelf. Well, probably I can figure this out. I think I can come up with a remedy. No. Prayer. Now, this gave him perspective. Did you see the discernment? Did you see the prudence that he used in this text dealing with these men? This was because of the prayer that strengthened him, and he accomplished this great work. And this is illustrating how we should deal with the men, uh, excuse me, opposition. So in Nehemiah, we have a full on illustration of how he dealt with the men who wanted him to just stop. You remember when I talked about Job a while back? All the devil wanted Job to do was just, please give up. Please be impatient. Don't wait on God anymore. Can you just please give up? Turn. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to stop, folks. 
So just like the saturated sponge, we can see what is on the inside of Nehemiah when he too was placed under pressure. We have a wonderful story showing us that. And guess what? They finished. They finished the job in 52 days. They rebuilt the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days. And you want to know what's really awesome about Nehemiah and all the workers completing this great work? I'm going to tell you, look at Nehemiah 6.16. Everybody turn to chapter 6 and look at verse 16. Here's what's awesome about this great work. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. That's what's awesome. See, these people were being restored. The temple, their worship, this fortifying wall, and now they're seeing... Okay, they're coming back to God. God is with these people. That is what is awesome. If God is for us, who can be against us? Nehemiah knows this. So how do we apply, I'm closing up, how do we apply this extremely relevant story to our lives? It's a wonderful story, but where's the relevance for our life? Well, the God we worship is a target of opposition, right? The work that God wants us to accomplish is a target of opposition. Therefore, the people who love their God and who want to serve and accomplish this work, the people become a great target of opposition. That's you and that is me. So what will come out when we are placed under pressure? Picture the sponge. If you're being pressed down, what is going to come out of you under that pressure. Folks, prayer, prayerful perseverance in all matters is needed. You've heard the long prayer of Nehemiah, and you heard the really short ones. Prayer is needed in all matters, just as we saw Nehemiah do. Because then, and only then, can we truly have perspective. Can we truly understand that we are walking in the will of God with our life, our Christian life, our prayerful life, So we're talking about the kind of godly perspective, right, that allows us to see and understand what God has placed on our hearts to do, that kind of perspective. We're talking about the kind of godly perspective that allows us to utilize discernment and prudence as we accomplish God's work, just as we saw Nehemiah do. And this is what we see in his character, folks. This is why I want us to imitate and learn from his character. So it is my hope today It is my prayer today that when we face opposition, and I know that opposition is going to be varied, just like our work is varied, but when we face opposition of any kind in accomplishing God's work, that we respond with this. And I want you to take this home, and I want you to digest it. I am doing the great work, and I cannot come down. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just want to lift you up again. We want to come to you, Lord, again with grateful hearts, humbled hearts, Lord, hearts that are just screaming and pursuing you, Father. We love you. We want our relationship to grow. We want to become stronger. We want to be made more perfect, Father, in your sight. And Lord, we know that prayer is everything. We have got to communicate with you. Father, we know when we're lined up with your will that you answer our prayers. Your ear is attentive to your servants. Just like Nehemiah, Lord, place on our heart the great work you have for us. Place on our hearts this great work. And Father, let us come to you 
constantly in communication about that work, Lord, so that we can walk with you in it. Father, we pray for strength in our prayers. We pray for strength in our lives as a result of those prayers. Father, let us have the right perspective as we walk daily in our Christian lives, knowing where you want us, knowing where you've placed us, knowing what you want us to accomplish. We can't know that if we don't talk to you, and we can't know that if we don't allow you to speak to us, Father. That's why this is essential right now. It's vital for us. So that's my prayer, Lord, that we learn from this story. You tell us that we need to learn from the prophets. We need to learn from these stories of old. They're, 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 they're in the Scripture for us. Lord, I pray right now that we take this story and we begin to learn and we begin to imitate this beautiful, persevering character of this man, Father, that accomplished great things because of you. Lord, you're the source. Let us always turn to you. This is my prayer today, Father. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for this church. We thank you for the wonderful things, Lord, that we get to accomplish through your service, Father, because of you love us, because you draw us near to you. We thank you for the opportunities, Father. Let us continue on in the work. It's a great work, Father. And let us always remember, Father, just let us remember that we are doing a great work and we cannot come down. Strengthen our hands, Lord. Strengthen our hands. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.